3: With my co-hosts, Mark Haas, Association for Enterprise Growth, Andrew Howard, Howard Insurance, Daniel Patterson, Brunch Digital, Dwayne Deason, The Efficacy Group, and Alan Bartholomus, People Stretch. And let's see, Mark, can you give us a rundown on who we have on the air
4: today, please? Sure, Herb. Today we have Corey Neal, president of K. Neal Truck and Bus Center. Matt Kaywood, CEO of Transit Screen. Richard Spires, CEO of Learning Tree International. And Joe Saunders, founder and CEO of RunSafe Security. Let's get
3: to our first guest, who is Corey Neal, president of K-Neal Truck and Bus Center. Corey, what is K-Neal Truck and Bus Center? What are you guys doing?
5: Uh, K-Neal Truck and Bus Center is a full-service commercial truck and bus dealership uh, located in the Washington metropolitan area. How large or how small is the organization? Uh, Just under 100 people. And how old is it? Uh, 15 years, second generation is me.
3: Uh-huh, you're the second generation. Where are you
5: from originally? Uh, I Washington metropolitan area.
3: Uh-huh, how many brothers and sisters? Uh, one older sister. One older sister. What was going on with you eight to fourteen years old?
5: Eight to fourteen years old. Um, I was an athlete, a large kid, uh, struggling to find my identity in a you know a world full of expectations.
3: What do you mean uh, trying trying to find your identity in a world full of expectations? Who was doing expectations on you?
5: Um, you know, I come from a family where uh, my father is was a great man, a man of integrity, a man of leadership, and a man of success. And uh, being an 8- to 14-year-old kid, you look up to your father and you're trying to always, you know, beat him, for lack of better
6: words. Mm-hmm. Andrew? Corey, what uh, what was your favorite sport growing up?
5: Uh, definitely basketball.
6: And what, what was your role in that team? What position?
5: Um, I played center for the team.
6: Uh, okay, so uh, in that role, uh, what was what was your yeah you know, what it was the theme a personal, did you yeah what was the
5: personality trait, yeah, it was to a personality the trait you took from that um, being on that team being a center um, I was a husky guy as always so I was the protector of the team is, um, is I guess that was my role
6: you, you had mentioned in the green room about I I protect my people I protect my family and and how does that theme correlate to your role as president today
5: um i think that you know as a leader of my organization my you know my role is to protect my people i'm there to lead my people to grow my people to to find my people's passion and protect them
3: how about that you see right you see protection as part didn't uh, andrew didn't uh doesn't have some sort of a uh, professional sports background as well
6: Uh, he, he does so um you, you had transitioned. Uh, although basketball is your favorite, you were a pretty decent football player. Uh, as we were talking in the green room, yeah, and you have where'd you play football? Where'd you play football?
5: I uh, played at Eastern Michigan. Played left tackle, protectors position. If anything uh-huh. else, yeah. how about some of the uh, some of the uh, sports teams that we might know? What teams did you play on? Uh, fortunately, uh, fortunately after Eastern, uh, went on to go to a training camp with the Washington Redskins to play on a practice squad with the Carolina. Oh, Biders. you
7: did, huh? All right, Alex. So, Dad had a lot of impact. What was Mom's impact on you, eight
5: to fourteen? Uh, mom's impact um, was sacrifice uh, my mother was an, uh, an incredibly successful woman when she met my father lucky him and she ended up giving up her whole career to raise both me and my sister
7: and how have you taken that lesson into being a president and how have you applied sacrifice
5: um, in my organization today in um, my people and my family as a totality everybody knows that other than my faith and my morals I'm willing to sacrifice anything for their success y- your faith you bring faith to work Every single day. What are you talking about? Um, you know, faith guides me, guides my decision, and um, I look for my faith to continue to guide my decisions.
3: All right, just want to make sure I understood,
5: Daniel.
8: Yeah. So um, why don't we talk a little bit about the first time you you really started making money uh, when you were growing up? Tell me a little bit about that.
5: Uh, first real job at the dealership was at 16. Um, you know being that guy that poor uh, doing the dirty work in the dealership to say the least what, what are you talking about I thought your family was running this business you were in there and you were you know getting your, your elbows dirty and,
8: and really kind of doing the work
5: uh, yeah uh, unfortunately um, I didn't get the silver spoon treatment <laughs> um, I got the greasy spoon treatment at working and <laughs> uh, doing dealerships gas gasoline changes oil changes um, of oh, the whole nine
8: that's good stuff so so you really
5: have have been where your employees have been how, how does that help you manage and and be the president today um, I think it allows uh, me to know every job in the organization, but I think it also gained the respect of everyone um, in the organization. Um, coming in being a second generation, people expect that, the silver spoon, but everybody knows that wasn't my treatment. Yeah, you, you worked for it. Absolutely.
9: Mm-hmm. Dwayne? Uh, you mentioned in the green room early on um, in your, in, you know, when you are kind of 8 to 14, you weren't always the best athlete and sometimes did the bench thing. Mm-hmm. i was just curious, you always, but you did say you had leadership positions there. and How, how were you able to get the confidence and respect of, of your
5: teammates if you weren't the best a, uh, athlete? Um, one, you know, one of the things I've always prided myself on is leading without a position, um, and you can do that simply by being the first person there, being a the cheerleader mm-hmm. on the team, being that guy, that sets the example for others. Um, and, you know, I've always prided myself on that. Well, how'd you do that? Give us an example. Um, I was always first guy there. I was always the guy that my teammates could lean on. I was always that guy that my teammates knew that if something went bad, they could call me and I'd be there for them.
4: How huh, about
5: that? Mark?
4: Yeah, what kind of major influences, other than your family, did you have growing up?
5: Um, other than my family, you know, the, the greatest influence, influence on me was definitely a guy by the name of Kurt Anderson, my offensive line coach in college.
4: And, and how did what was the influence that he had on you?
5: Um, he taught me how to be a man. And um, I'm not saying that my parents didn't, but he took more uh, time to teach me to be a man than he did to teach me to be a football player.
3: What do you mean he taught you to be a man? What are you talking about there?
5: Uh, responsibility, accountability, uh, real leadership, um, and taking control and, you know, being a man. Huh.
4: Mark? Uh, um, what kind of. What did you imagine yourself as a 10-year-old? You know, what did you sort of see yourself as as an adult?
5: Um, surely not the person I am today, but, you know, as a 10-year-old, I probably saw myself working in a grocery store or something of like that. Um, never, you know, huge expectations of myself. Just always trying to find my way, for lack of better words.
4: Does that surprise you, where you are today?
5: Uh, every compared day. Compared to where you're through?
3: Mm-hmm.
5: Every single day. So have you found your way? Um, being 28 years old, uh, I would say definitely not. Uh, I think that I'm on the way to finding my passion in life
3: What are you talking about? What do you mean? I mean, you know, you played on the professional sports scene I mean, you've, you've done a lot with your life. What do you mean?
5: Um, you know to bring a full circle. I guess I'm still trying to live up to dad's expectations. Um, it's still there with me today And I'm still working to do that. Huh, you want your dad to be proud of you? Uh, probably a number two thing on my list What's the number one thing on your list family? Uh-huh is that still around nowadays? Uh, every morning, 4 a.m. <laughs> what do you mean 4 a.m.? Uh, that's the time me and him get started every day together. You and your dad get into work at 4 a.m. every day? 5 a.m., 4 a.m. call to talk about what's going on in the drive, a, drive to work. Wow.
3: So you guys go to work together? Every day. Uh-huh. And this is a business, it's second generation, and you guys are probably a pretty profitable business where, you know, you don't have
5: to work that hard, but you are? Um... Hard work has gotten us where we have, and faith has gotten us where we have, and we can continue to do those two things.
3: Hard work and faith. Didn't you say earlier that you're married? or you ma- Are you married or single?
5: i uh, married in October.
3: Uh-huh, you're married in October. Uh-huh. And uh, why'd you choose the woman you chose? Um,
5: she helps me be who I am today. Excuse me? She helps me be who I am today. I would not be myself if it was not for her. Wait a minute. Uh, uh, I thought you told me that, you know, you, you had a coach. This um, Kurt Anderson had a lot to do with turning you. So your wife has a lot to do with affecting you? So while Kurt Anderson taught me how to be a man, he missed teaching me how to love. And if you don't love what you do, if you don't have your passion, if you don't love your passion, if you don't love your people, if you don't have the energy of love in your organization, I think that you struggle to find success. How has your wife affected your running the business? Um, I spend more hours there now. I can tell you that much. Uh, but how about in terms of this love thing and, and how you view business differently? I think that I view it differently because her insight and her difference of opinion affects me. So I'm able to take that to the workplace. So now I not only have my opinions and my experiences, I also have her intellect, her, experience, her experiences that I bring to my people. Uh-huh. Who's got the next question here?
7: In the green, you talked about adversity and change and pursuing football as, as a path. Can you elaborate a little bit on that adversity and change? Because it, it sounds like you've had quite an adventure, but the listeners would love to hear about that story that kind of emblemizes that.
5: So as a, as a youth, I was big, um, and I'm, I was the size, um, and my father's about six foot nine, so everybody thought I'd be a basketball player. Unfortunately, I never grew, and I still wanted to find my way to kind of check that box of expectation for my family. Um, end up playing football and end up, you know, finding my way and, you know, became a leader on that team. So it's kind of full circle in a sense.
3: Uh-huh. What's the best part of your day?
5: Uh, the best part of my day is waking up in the morning and having the opportunity to lead and, you know, do. The best part of your day is waking up in the morning, and have, but it's just a lot of adversity and problems. Yeah, I think adversity and problems is the You know, is one of it's probably the second best part of my day. I'm I'm operator. I'm a purest. I'm an operator at my purest moment. What do you mean an operator? What are you talking about? I'm here to fix problems. I get joy out of fixing problems. You get what kind of you get joy? What do you mean by that? There's no, there's nothing better for me to go to work, identify a problem, help someone get through it. Um, it's, you know, talking what, about what's the them. website address of this organization? Uh, KNEALTBC.com. Can we know that one more time? It's KNEALTBC.com. we Tbc.com You to speak with Corey Neal, president of Kingwood Truck and Bus Center here on
3: Executive Hebrews Radio. And your name and organization is?
0: I'm Gene Kanak. I'm the executive director of the Roadrunners Club of America. And what is
3: the Roadrunners Club of America? The
0: Roadrunners Club of America is the National Association of Running Clubs, Running Events, mm-hmm. and all of the runners around the country. And how,
3: how large or how small is this organization?
0: We have a little over 2,700 organizational members, which are clubs and events.
3: Hmm. And how many runners are there that are members of these organizations?
0: Our, our members are working with over five million runners participating mm-hmm. in the sport annually
3: and uh, where are you' from originally
0: I grew up in Alabama but uh, through my father's job transfers mm-hmm. I wound up uh, moving around mm-hmm. a lot in high school
3: and how did all that moving around lend itself to your building this organization
0: uh, it made me very um, flexible and open to change and um, give, us definitely us an being open-minded. Of, give
3: us an example of how it helped build the organization though we, what do you mean
0: um, we are actually a very what I would call nimble organization and that I'm willing to make change quickly. I don't uh, You know ponder it a lot if mm-hmm. it seems like the right thing to do then mm-hmm. you just do it and that's that's definitely It was an example of
3: one of me. the major differences you've made in the organization
0: well when I started at the organization we had sixty thousand dollars in the bank and now we have not quite 2 million um, Mm -hmm. in operating reserves. So
3: you really understand how to run a nimble organization. It sounds like you're pretty good at not only understanding people, but organizing systems and people. It sounds like when you did all this moving, you're quite the organizer as well.
0: I definitely think that that experience um, has lent uh, to my skills uh-huh. in the uh, executive position. Uh-huh.
3: How many brothers and sisters, and where are you in the pecking order?
0: I have an older sister, uh-huh. three years older.
3: All righty. An, and what's the website address of this organization?
0: Um, rrca.org.
3: Let me have that one more time.
0: rrca.org. And
3: your name again is?
0: Gene Kanak.
3: And this has been your Business Spotlight. And your name is? Ramon Parker. And Ramon, name of the organization? Loud and Free Clinic and you were telling me there's something special about the
10: Loudon Free Clinic where every dollar that goes in does something else. What was that all about? Yeah, it does something magical. So for every dollar that's donated to our clinic, we can deliver $8 worth of care.
3: And what kind of clinic is this? Who are you you helping out? What kind of stuff do you guys do?
10: So we're helping out those who are 18 to 64 who are uninsured and low income, 200 percent or below the federal poverty level. And give me this thing about the math again. Give me how that works. So essentially, I have a a staff of 12 individuals and 128 volunteers. So with that kind of payer mix, I'm able to deliver, you know, anywhere from $8 uh, in care for our patients.
3: Because you've been able to enroll the support of so many volunteers, you're actually keeping the
10: cost of health care down, and therefore multiplying the dollars. And making one of the, one of the best business investments for private corporations who want to invest. And
3: didn't, ah, uh, interesting. So private
10: businesses and individuals can get involved. And didn't you Absolutely. tell
3: me you had a couple of health care challenges yourself? What yeah. were they?
10: I have. I've had four open-heart surgeries, and mm-hmm. it helps me to understand what patients need. What are you talking about? What do you mean? So the idea of having been on the table or being a patient, I'm able to take a patient focus in how we deliver care differently than most people would. What would you learn
3: from those experiences personally? What do you appreciate that most of us don't?
10: I appreciate consistency. Um, I think that a, a staff at the hospital, nurses, providers, mm-hmm. parents, mm-hmm. family, all those people consistently being around me and consistently offering me hope, uh, I'm so full of it that I have to offer that to the patients and to the staff when I'm working with them.
3: What's the website address for the Loudoun Free Clinic?
10: Loudonfreeclinic.org Let me have that one more time. L-O-U-D-O-U-N, freeclinic.org. you have been speaking with your name again? Ramon Parker. And this has been your Business Spotlight. Thank you.
3: We're back. You're listening to Executive Readers Radio. This is your host, Herb Cove. We'd like to introduce Matt Kayward, CEO of Transit Screen. Matt, what is Transit Screen? What are you guys doing?
2: We provide software uh, that has live information about all kinds of transportation. So it's a uh, metro, bus, Uber, bikes, scooters, you name it. If you see a screen in the lobby of a building that has that information, that's us. Wow. Uh, where are you from originally? I grew up in Madison, Wisconsin till I was 11, then moved to Chicago. And
3: how many brothers and sisters do you have?
2: Younger sister and a younger brother
3: uh-huh so what was the effect of this move uh when you were a kid
2: ultimately it opened up a lot of opportunities uh i moved to a, a, a city and a, a high school that had a lot of different extracurriculars i could get involved in I had people i was doing computer stuff with i joined boy scouts got involved in debate and traveled nationally at a pretty young age in high school wait a minute all right this is what of been how young were you when you started coming up with ideas Uh, probably when I was, you know, six or or seven, I was playing with computers, uh, writing software on computers. And, uh, you know, I remember, uh, you know, just kind of discovering things for the first time that were new to me that, that maybe people had seen before, but, you know, I had an adventure game and wanted a monster to appear there, figured it out. And it was just, you know, glorious.
3: How, How did it make you feel when you came up with an idea and you made it happen?
2: You know, that's the kind of thing where you kind of, you, you almost want to walk away from the keyboard and say, you know, this, this really feels nice.
3: Uh, what's that have to do with your uh, with your building this thing called transit screen?
2: Well, the transit screen was always something I was interested in, transportation, helping people get around. Um, I, I used to travel, uh, I was a PhD student, got a PhD in neuroscience, and I was coming back from the lab late at night. I just wanted something to tell me where to go to take the bus and when the bus was coming. And so when I realized that the technology was all there to bring that information together and this was something that, that I could use myself, it really, um, it, it gave me a passion to deliver it to others.
3: Wait a minute, are you telling me that transit screen
2: is the one place
3: that I can look where it tells me the best way to get from here to there,
2: that's right, and and the right time to leave, and and all your options, where, when, wow, when. What a
3: pleasure! Uh, let's see who's got the next question here. I think uh, Daniel.
8: Yeah. So Matt, let's um let's talk a little bit about you know the the childhood friends that you had when you when you moved. Uh, what what kind of a, a role were you taking in that in that group, and and what were you guys doing together? Yeah, we spent a lot of time, uh, you know, on, on computers, uh, doing
2: some minorly hacking with computers and, and playing games and you know writing software. Um, you know, I was always one of the people kind of bringing new ideas and new technology to to the group. I had you know a, a Commodore Amiga, which was this cutting edge thing for you know uh, uh, gaming and programming, and I, I was always the one bringing some of the, the newest stuff to, to them.
8: Yeah, so you didn't know it at the time, but you were really prepping for, for Transit Screen back when you were a kid and, and kind of talking with all your buddies. Yeah, it was a little bit, uh, you know, I, 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 one of my roles is kind of to be product
2: visionary and, and see what the next thing is. Not all my ideas are great ideas, but, uh, you know, some of them
8: were. Uh, well, wh- one of them was, at least. more.
4: <laughs> so, uh, you yeah, you had a productive childhood. Um, what kind of books or media did you consume?
2: Uh, I, I read a lot. Uh, I read some fantasy science fiction. Lord of the Rings was was my favorite there. Uh, I read some literary fiction. Uh, Hemingway, Farewell to Arms, another, another good one for me.
4: Is there any character or, or event that you sort of carry with you over time?
2: For sure. I mean, I, I always identified with these uh, these heroic quest type stories, right? Uh, you know, Joseph Campbell type mm-hmm. stories, uh, Star Wars and the like. Uh, Frodo Baggins, clearly, and uh, Robert Jordan and, and uh, Farewell Tarms, Arms. You know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, I'm sorry for whom the bell tolls It doesn't always end up in the in the, in the you know uh, winning, but yeah, uh, you end up with a situation where Andrew? yeah.
6: Uh, tell me about uh, who your biggest influence was, mom or dad?
2: Uh, probably my dad. Uh, he was a professor of business. Uh, we, uh, we did a lot of stuff together. We used to play chess at, at night. Uh, he uh, really gave me my first job when we were parking cars for Big Ten football games. People would drive in and we'd fill up the parking lot, take the money, and then uh, buy scalp tickets and go to the game.
6: And so you learned a little bit of uh, business savvy from dad and uh, some creativity as
2: well. Uh, for sure. We had to be a little bit creative, uh, you know, with the pricing, with uh, how far away we were from the stadium, with whether we were going to park people in or not after the game. We were a little creative. Mm-hmm. Dwayne?
9: Uh, you mentioned your father was a uh, professor. Do you still, do you, did that make you feel um, academic pressure? Do you, do you still feel
2: that pressure? Uh, I think I always thought that I was going to be a professor, uh, you know, a, a scientist, a physicist, or a neuroscientist before I took the turn into uh, technology. A lot of that pressure, uh, you know, indirectly probably came from my father. It was, some of it was uh, very, you know, self-applied at an early age as well. Mm-hmm. Alex,
7: what impact did mom have in those eight to fourteen?
2: Uh, my mom had a lot of impact. She was a uh, Spanish teacher and she quit to, to raise uh, me and my siblings. Um, and, uh, you know, my mom is a, uh, a good listener and um, she has a style where she really relates to people um, and, and, and builds rapport. Um, that's probably more my leadership style than, than my dad. My dad's a big talker. He likes to fill the room.
7: Mm-hmm. So how are you applying today what you learned from mom?
2: I think, um, you know, being able to really sit down with someone and understand what their motivations are, what their issues are, what they're going through, um, you know, being able to empathize with them in the moment, I think that's something that I learned from my mom.
7: Now, in the agreement, you talked about how she would take you to all these different activities. When you got to high school, um, Um, at what point did the activities start to uh, pressure you or
2: get overwhelming? I never really felt pressured by them. Um, one of the the first things that happened to me in high school was I was a uh, I was a freshman. I was taking uh, advanced placement calculus. I got a D minus my first quarter, uh, and uh, it was it was I was 13 years old. It was it was a lot to take on. I was also playing football at the time and had no you know energy. So. That kind of put me on a path where I was never going to be valedictorian of my school, and that took a lot of pressure off to just be a pure academic success. That meant I could concentrate on the things I thought were were really interesting, whether it was debate or um, uh, quiz bowl or or other competitions. Um, I was always very competitive.
6: Andrew? So, uh, going back to your move and and bringing it to transit screen, when you moved to Chicago, did you ever feel like an outsider?
2: For sure. It was a big social adjustment for me to go through that. Um, you know, I managed to, to find some groups uh, that were doing activities that I, I cared about, but uh, it definitely uh, forced me to kind of readjust and reintegrate.
6: So yeah, you, you said earlier that uh, transit screen was born out of uh, grad school or, or, or college when you couldn't find your way. I, I might argue that you needed to find your way. At age 11, right? Mm-hmm.
2: You could say that. And also moving to a city that had uh, had public transit that uh, was That's a disaster right. at the time but has gotten a lot mm-hmm. better since then uh, made a difference to, to my awareness of, of all these options. Yeah. Mark, do you have a question there?
4: Yes. Yeah, so, uh, you know, what, what does your family think of you now?
2: Um, I'm definitely uh, you know the older brother, I'm the role model for for uh, to some extent to my, my younger brother. He actually was around when I started the company. He was kind of our communications intern and and helped a lot out uh, just uh, pro bono. Um, so uh, you know I, th- I still have that role in, in the family. Mm-hmm. But cool. you
7: shared an interesting view in the Green Room about role models and growing up. Can you explain a little?
2: Yeah, you know I, I would never um, you know discourage people from having role models or, or mentors if they if they want to have them. I just never personally felt the need to have a really strong, you know, role model or a mentor. I always saw people, saw adults, more as peers as I was growing up. Perhaps because I was advanced in a lot of these ways, math and science and so on. And um, you know, I think you can you can succeed without having to have well, you, mentors. You
3: assembled you assembled a lot of different you assimilated a lot of different activities, extracurricular activities, and adults into your life. So you and chose from a bunch of mentors it sounds like
2: for sure and I learned a lot from a lot of teachers along the way I don't want to say you know I, I, I wasn't paying attention but but I don't think you need to have a singular mentor Dwayne uh, you mentioned uh, your, your father being a professor did you ever attend his classes and what, what did you take away from his style and what, what you learned from him Uh, My dad was a business professor. I I actually kind of steered away from business, as as, as I mentioned, towards uh, science and other things. Um, But, you know, he's a great improviser and and extemporizer. And just being able to kind of flow, that was one of the things when I was debating, that was one of the things I was very good at. And I think I learned that from him. What's that have to do with uh, being the CEO of Transit Screen, this flowing thing? Well, Transit Screen is all about maintaining a flow state when you're traveling. But, um, you know, I think m- more generally, uh, you have to be able to, to, you know, pitch people, to engage people, um, you know, just like we're talking right now. And it didn't come naturally to me, and, and that was something I had to learn.
3: Well, it sounds to me like you also had a diversity of interests as a kid, which is an important as a CEO of an organization, especially where you're integrating all this information. It sounds like you were integrating a lot of information back when you were a kid, same so you thing you're doing nowadays.
2: Uh, yeah, I think that's one, one of my many jobs as a CEO is to be able to, you know, be the, the nervous system of the organization to take that information in and, and route it to the right person without, you know, causing a whole, uh, 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 gridlock. Let's see the website address at transit screen. Transitscreen.com. Let me know that one more time. Transitscreen.com. And we've been speaking with Matt Kaywood, CEO of Transit Screen here on Executive News Radio. We'll be back on a moment right after
11: this break.
12: This is John Schuhart. Join joining us for our business spotlight is Barry File. Who are you with, Barry?
11: I'm with Celebrate Fairfax, yeah. a 501c3 nonprofit in Fairfax, Virginia.
12: And what do you do with uh, Celebrate Fairfax?
11: I am very fortunate to be the president and CEO of the organization. So, what does Fairfax, or excuse me, Celebrate Fairfax, do? We have a mission to celebrate Fairfax County and its communities. We serve the 1.1 million people who live in the county, and all, as well as all the people who uh, visit and work there.
12: So uh, what do you enjoy about working at Celebrate Fairfax?
11: It is the best job in the world. It is. We come to work every day, my team and I, and we get to prepare and plan and produce events for 75,000, 100,000 people, and we treat them like, we think of them like like they're our our friends. So So we get to come in and just plan great events for them.
12: What makes those events so special?
11: We try to be unique uh, within this region especially, but we're always trying to stretch the envelope of what people expect from events. People go to events because they want to have great experiences, and for us, we are always trying to give them that return on investment because they're not giving us necessarily a lot of money when they come to our event, but they are giving us their time and their energy, and that's an important thing. People want that ROI back.
12: So did you ever think you'd be doing this when you were a kid? No,
11: never. I, I think that when I was a kid, I, w- I, was, I was building things, designing things, and somewhere along the line, I fell into events and realized that it was a natural extension for me, that I just loved producing things.
12: So what was it about being a kid that led you
11: to this? Um, I think that it was just the challenges that were there. I always tried to figure out solutions to problems that didn't exist, and uh, that's what we do now. It's it's the same principle.
12: So when did you first start overcoming big challenges as a kid?
11: Uh, I think I always was. Uh, I think that uh, I lived in a household with two older kids, parents who had their own things going on, and I think for me, I just always uh, tried to find my own way. What's your website? Our website is CelebrateFairfax.com.
12: This is John Shewhart and this has been your Business Spotlight. And your name is?
13: Chuck Ockletree. And Chuck,
9: what organization are you with?
13: The National Conference Center and West Belmont Place Event Center. Uh Uh-huh,
3: and what makes this organization special?
13: The National Conference Center was built um, to be the nation's premier uh, meeting and event venue. Um, it's not a traditional hotel, mm-hmm. so even though we have nine hundred guest rooms and all the services and amenities of a traditional hotel, mm-hmm. because of our size, mm-hmm. we're able to uh, deliver um, an environment that is very conducive to uh, learning, development, and who are your clients? Our clients are uh, many of the the Corporate 100, Corporate 500, as well as uh, because of our location in Leesburg, Virginia, mm-hmm. we do a lot of business with Washington, D.C. Uh, government agencies. Mm-hmm. And what do you like about your job? What I like about is uh, is we've had the opportunity to bring new leadership to the National Conference Center, blend with the tremendous service team that's built a reputation over the years uh, for great service. And uh, we've had a lot of fun um, helping our clients take advantage of the sixty-five acre campus. How about you personally, what, what do
3: you enjoy about your job?
13: I enjoy that, that we've uh, had a very, very, very successful turnaround in mm-hmm. uh, the two and a half years, mm-hmm. uh, taking the National Conference Center. Uh, from where it was in 2014 mm-hmm. with Excellent. the new uh, new ownership, we've mm-hmm. literally doubled the revenue. And what's,
3: so. your, what's your role in the organization again?
13: Uh, my role is Chief Marketing Officer. And what's which that mean? It Good question. It means that... Uh, uh, we're involved with branding, uh, mm-hmm. everything to do with the sales, the marketing, the promotion, and um, the business development. So you're actually going prophecy. out
3: there and you're actually involved with helping bring in the clients. Exactly, yes. Sir. And I guess the way you're doing that is you're actually talking to a lot of the clients, making sure that you know your services are valuable.
13: We talk to a lot of the clients and we do a lot of uh, Super. events as What's well. What's the website address of, of the organization? www.conferencecenter.com Let me hear that one more time www.conferencecenter.com. This
3: has been your Business Spotlight. We're back. You're listening to Executive Leaders Radio. This is your host, Herb Cohen. We'd like to introduce Richard Spires, who's the CEO of Learning Tree International. Richard, what is Learning Tree International? What are you guys
14: doing? Uh, Learning Tree is a $60 million uh, a year company that focuses on workforce development and training, uh, mainly in the IT, the information technology field.
3: And how old is this company and how long have you been the CEO?
14: The company is actually 45 years old. I've been associated for five years. I was on the board of directors and then was asked to take over the company as CEO three years ago.
3: And where are you from originally?
14: I was uh, born in New Jersey, but my father was uh, relocated a number of times in his job. And so I also lived in uh, Colorado and Ohio. Hmm. How many
3: brothers and sisters?
14: I have uh, two younger sisters.
3: And what was going on with you, 8 to 14 years old?
14: Well, the, the normal things you would expect in, in that age. But I'll I tell you, my, my father, a very, very successful engineer, worked for AT&T Bell Laboratories his whole career. And and he and my my mother set these expectations that were, were almost like kind of unsaid, but very, very high expectations of all three of us.
7: Mm-hmm. Alex? What impact did that have on you then that you can remember? What, well, what stands you know, it, out?
14: It, it was overall a positive impact. Um, you know, I was, uh, I, I was actually driven and, and I, a lot of pressure but I, I guess I viewed it as positive pressure, which is very
7: good. And how's that translated into your management style today? As well, CEO? you
14: know, I'd like to think that I, I, I can, I learned from that, right? Um set, set a very high bar, okay, but really help people to reach that bar, okay, and, and do it in a very positive way and, and help people to learn themselves
3: help people to learn themselves? Wait a minute, it says here you're the... We're a learning organization. Uh, Mm Oh, I see. So you're you're drinking your own Kool-Aid, aren't you? Well,
14: I've been a CIO, a Chief Information Officer a couple times, and so I was on the other side. And what's the biggest thing IT organizations need? They need skilled people. And Uh that's what we're all
4: about. Mork? So growing up, how did you pick your friends?
14: Well, I'm I'm huge, and I really learned this, uh, particularly from my father. This issue of integrity. He's a man of very high integrity, and a, and and I am as well. And so this this issue of trust and trusting people is very very big to me as far as picking
4: friends. Is there a story from when you were growing up today? Yeah, reason? you know, I,
14: <laughs> be careful who you pick, right? I when I was about 10 years old, uh, with a lot of peer pressure, ended up doing some shoplifting, got caught. I mean, it was actually for like candy or something, but i remember that longest day of my life um the, the store called my my parents when i got home you can imagine what that day was like for me with the expectations my parents set and my my father and my mother being people of high integrity that was a very very long day for
3: me so you you really got affected by that you still remember oh that i remember
14: that so well
3: well how'd that affect you What would that teach well,
14: you well I, I think it really taught me the importance of you know the, the truth and 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 the respect for people's goods how, and for people how old in general. Were, how young
4: were you when that happened about 10 years old mm-hmm. mark why don't you take it from there uh, what was your role at the irs
14: so i uh, i entered government i was running their business systems modernization program a multi-billion dollar uh, uh modernization program and then i was asked to become their chief information officer
3: and how large or small was that organization? Well,
14: uh, well, the IRS—it's about 100,000 people itself. Uh, mm-hmm. But I—I I had about 7,000 direct reports at that time. So
3: you really—you so certainly got a, a deep lesson when you were a kid about integrity and about drive from your dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, next question—who's got it?
12: You—you
9: um, um, you had mentioned that uh, in the green room that if you got a B on your report card, someone would—you'd you, you'd have to kind of answer to that or be questionable. Yes. So that could provide a lot of pressure. But you—you you didn't rebel like most most kids might you instead it it motivated you um how do you how how did that happen and and do you translate that same motivation and expectations into your career i I give my
14: parents tremendous credit a lot of high expectations and you would think that that we would rebel but but they did it in such a i guess a loving way um in both their own ways i mean quick story they they my father was an engineer i'm an engineer but they always said find your own passion and I, I think that's such a great, and in fact, that's what I tell my children all the time, find what do you, your own what passion. What do you mean find your own passion? What you well, I mean, about? look, my, one of my daughters, she works as a, in, a, in, in the theater tech and lighting work, and you know, far, far afield from what I would have expected or, or what I would have thought would have been really good, yet she's, she's doing great. She's 25, and she's touring in Europe right now, and it's just wonderful. So uh-huh. she found her passion, and it shows every day.
8: So uh, this, this passion theme seems to, to kind of run through a lot of the, the times in your lives. Do you, yes. do you still kind of instill that in your employees nowadays when you want I them to tr- pursue?
14: I, tr- uh, I certainly try to. And, in fact, we just had a, a woman who just – she was uh, second in charge in our HR department, and she just got a, an offer to go to another company to become the HR director, which is her dream and i'm so pleased for her i know i told her "Yeah, we're going to really miss you but it it's great that you're going to go find something like that
3: andrew Uh,
6: just to pivot richard for a minute um you shared in the green room that uh mom and dad got divorced um when you were in college and tell me about the effect of the divorce on on you and your your younger sister yeah
14: it it, it really it wasn't i mean of course i was away at college so maybe not as much an impact on myself but but the three of us had to really pull together in those times and uh yeah, uh, you know, m- my parents were one are wonderful people, but, you know, they married so young um, and they just, you know, they just were never really right for each well, other. What's fascinating to Do me. Do you think there yeah. was an effect,
6: yeah. uh, you know, today in how you build your management team, but that, that concept of leaning on each other?
14: Yeah, I'm, I'm very big on that. I try to really nail it. And, and teamwork is really critical, I think, in, in building a high performance team. You, you got to be able to lean on each other, trust each other, have each other's backs when when, you, when necessary.
8: Do you think that 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 kind of came from the the moving around a lot? I mean, I know you said you were the big brother. Do you think yeah. that that was really what it yeah. instilled the? I mean, uh, it, it,
14: you know, moving around a lot, you grow up much faster. Yeah. Is what my sense, uh, you know, through that childhood. It's hard, right, when you're you're eight, ten years old, moving and having to make all new friends. Makes you much more self reliant, but I think also in this case, uh, relied more on my sisters as well.
7: Richard, you talked in the green room about, about pleasing your parents. Yes. W- when did you uh, stop pleasing them to pursue your passion?
14: Well, you know, that's a great question. I, I still think I try to please my parents, don't we all? <laughs> I mean, right? Isn't that part of life? Um, mm-hmm. I. But yeah. I, I went a little different direction than my father's, and you know, I ended up getting into management and, and starting to love that, and then all of a sudden I'm running projects and programs, and so I'm still in the IT field, but really took a little different direction than my Richard, father.
3: Richard, how, how young were you when you were organizing all the other kids? How young were you?
14: <laughs> I guess I was a little bit of the leader of the neighborhood, tell coming about 12 years old or so, us yes.
3: Tell us about what was happening at 12 when you were leading the neighborhood.
14: Uh, I, I don't know if there's anything really specific. Was it I mean, sports
3: or was it some games or was it a regular carnival? Yeah, I mean, I,
14: I, I was very, I was sports. I wasn't the best athlete by any means, but I, I played a, a lot. I mean, cross country runner, track and field, those were my passions. Individual sports, right? Also mm-hmm. golf. So mm-hmm. I'm more of an individual sport guy. Uh-huh. So that's not where the team comes together. But you know what I learned more as an adult than as a kid? Was again the power of teamwork uh-huh. when I saw it and come to play. So
3: when you were when you were doing these individual sports, how would you affect the team? What personality trait did you bring to the team?
14: Uh, I, I tried to be the guy, the boy at the time, that really uh, was the one that looked out for others.
3: What are you talking
14: about? What do you mean?
3: Well, you know,
14: helping. You know, if someone was having that bad day, and you know, trying to be a, a, a leader. Not so much positionally, but just uh, trying to bring a maturity, hopefully, that many, I think I had more just because, again, moving around as a kid, and I tried to bring that to these sports. So these
3: were individual sports, running, et cetera, et cetera, yes. but you tried to bring, you tried to pull the team together. What,
14: what's that have to do with what you're doing nowadays? Well, I, you know, in some ways, a lot of parallels, right? I mean, uh, you know, today... Trying to build a team can be very difficult, mm-hmm. and particularly when you're dealing with a lot of diverse personalities, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. backgrounds, mm-hmm. but yet it's magical when mm-hmm. it happens, right? When you, when are you are see a, a high-performing team, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's incredible watch. You, you, you
3: married or single?
14: I, I am married. Uh-huh. How are many you? years? Uh, we'll be 30 years. How many uh, kids? With, How many kids do uh, you have? I have three children three myself. Three
3: children. What's the, uh, who wears the pants in the family at home? <laughs>
14: <laughs> I guess I could say my wife and uh-huh. she'll appreciate that comment..
3: <laughs> What's a similarity between being a dad and being a CEO?
14: Uh, well, I think there are. I mean, I want to be a role model for my children, but I also want to help my children, you know instill the values that my father and mother instilled in me, okay, but also help them. Grow to the people that they, they, they can. And how about
3: at work? How's that parallel what you're doing? I, I try
14: to very, very similar, okay, at work. Um, obviously, you're not as intimate uh, with individuals at work many times, mm-hmm. but that idea of getting to know and, and really, I try to talk to those that report to me where do you want to be in five years? What's that look like? What's the steps that I can help you get there? And that's a big—it's a big deal in developing. People. I wish the
3: listening audience could see your body language. You're so precise and so meaning, meaningful in, in terms of the, in terms of the way you're presenting that. What's the website address of this organization? It's
14: learningtree.com.
3: Learningtree.com. I've been speaking with Richard Spires, CEO of Learning Tree International, here on Executive Leaders Radio. Don't forget to visit our website. It's executiveleadersradio.com. To learn more about our executive leaders. And we'll be back in a moment right after this business
1: spotlight. I'm Tina Leone, I'm the CEO of the Boston Business Improvement District.
3: And what is the Boston Business Improvement District?
1: We work to attract, support, and connect the most compelling, creative, and ambitious minds in our region. Boston is known as an epicenter for research and discovery. Uh, some of the greatest things that are invented, such as the MRI, the barcode, the internet the first satellite, all were either conceived, funded, or developed by organizations here in Boston.
3: How, how old is this organization?
1: We're just, just shy of six years old.
3: How long have you been there? You been uh,
1: almost six years as well.
3: Did you found this organization?
1: Yes, I, I am the founding CEO. Why did
3: mm-hmm. you do that?
1: Well, they, they, the organization actually came about uh, by the commercial property owners why, in why,
3: Boston. Why does it turn you on? Why does your gig turn you
1: on? <laughs> people. I mean, we the, the, the ability to connect people and then who knows the next next great idea is going to result from that we have incredible minds in the washington dc area and ballston is as i said the epicenter for the smartest people in this area so
3: your job you're like the master connector
1: i feel like the mayor of of ballston, the mayor of innovation because that's uh-huh. what's happening
3: so your idea your, th- your thought is that in order to create more stuff in order to launch more businesses in order to cause more good it's a matter of connecting exactly. the right people
1: Exactly.
3: And you like being in the middle of all that I, stuff. Oh, we
1: love it. We love it. And simple things, just connecting people through events, through art. Uh, through a happy hour. Mm-hmm. You don't know what's going to come out of that. Mm-hmm. That's what's exciting.
3: So it's all about the people and you're the uh, you're the founder of this organization. Is this a 9 to 5 kind of job? Oh, for you? hell
1: no. It's a lot longer uh-huh. than that, baby. So
3: do you have to, do you have to work the weekends and stuff yeah, like that?
1: sure, sure.
3: Let me have the website address of sure, this it's organization. It's
1: bostonbid.com and and you can download the Boston Connect mobile app.
3: Let me have uh, let me have that website address one more time. com. It's B-A, give me the spelling on that.
1: B-A-L-L-S-T-O-N-B-I-D.com. Excellent. your name again is? Tina Leone.
3: And the name of the organization? Is the
1: Balsam Business Improvement District. And
3: this has been your business spotlight back in a moment. One help building your business with help from the show's CEOs? Our CEOs can help you uncover more opportunities, grow your sales, connect you, help you raise money. All the big issues because our CEOs have been there and done that. Some of the CEOs who have appeared on our shows over the last 10 years may be willing to help you grow, assuming you've ser- you're serious about your success, serious about your own success, because it all starts with the leader. If you're serious about creating your own successful business or are truly committed to putting your nose to the grindstone and doing whatever it takes to make your business successful, we may be able to match you with successful CEOs who have created millions of jobs and earned millions of dollars to help you create your success. We've established unique relationships with a unique universe of over 7,000 CEOs who have created substantial wealth for their companies, their teams, and themselves. These women and men get the build in their blood and often continue to start and build businesses even after they've created substantial wealth for themselves because they love the challenge of building a business. Perhaps we can present you and your business to some of these CEOs to gain their interest in helping you. Now, email mentors at executiveleadersradio dot com. That's mentors at executiveleadersradio dot com to hopefully match you with some of the CEOs we've had on the show for the last ten years. Mentors at executiveleadersradio dot We're back. You're listening to Executive Leaders Radio. This is your host Joe Cohen. We'd like to introduce Joe Saunders, founder and CEO of RunSafe Security.
15: Joe, what is RunSafe Security? RunSafe Security is a cybersecurity company, and we're protecting critical infrastructure from cyberattacks. And uh, where are you from originally? So I grew up in a suburb of Detroit, Michigan called Livonia, Michigan. Mm-hmm. How many brothers and sisters? I'm the youngest of uh, six kids in my family. Uh-huh. What was the effect of you growing up the youngest of six? Uh, Well, two things. One, uh, you know, my parents, uh, you know, didn't have many rules for me by that point. Mm -hmm. Uh, But also then I had, you know, some older siblings and, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, examples that they, you know, demonstrated. So I had Mm -hmm. expectations.
3: What kind of sports were you into, 8 to 14?
15: I was a a swimmer and a baseball player. uh, But swimming was my main sport. Swimming was your main sport. And, and Tell us about what was your, what personality trait did you bring to the swim team? So, you know, obviously swimming is an intense sport and a lot of commitment, um, but I also brought a spirit. I was kind of known as the, the team cheerleader as well. What do you mean? Well, uh, so, you you know, I, I tried to, um, you know, uh, lead by example as a swimmer, but also then take an interest in the other swimmers and, and led a lot of the cheers for their events and their, their uh, competitions.
3: Didn't you mention there was one specific event you mentioned where um, you were about to win and something happened? Why don't you tell us about that?
15: Yeah, so when I was a junior in high school, uh, I, I had pretty high expectations of what I would accomplish and was actually uh, winning the race in the, in the state finals, going into the final lap, and then uh, three other kids passed me on the last lap. Oh, uh-huh. so how did that make you feel, and what happened the next year? Well, there was two things. One, uh, you know, motivated me to work really hard for the next year to try to, try to come out on top, uh, but the other one was when I didn't come out on top the next year, um, my dad was still really proud of me and uh, offered you know, that he was proud of all the effort I put into and wasn't so concerned about the outcome. How, how'd that affect you? Well, I do think uh, it put a lot of emphasis on hard work and commitment and, you know, working with other people and not so much, you know, the outcome per se, but, but mm-hmm. putting in, you know, extra effort mm-hmm. along the way. And that was what was instilled. Gotcha. Daniel?
8: Yeah, so we've, we've talked a little bit about your siblings growing up, but what did you do differently than, than the rest of your siblings? How did you try and, and separate yourself?
15: Well, uh, so, you know, every one of my siblings had, you know, different effects on me growing up and, and had completely different personalities. And so I think the, in the end, it was really trying to uh, develop my own personality and what I wanted to be, you know, growing up. Sure.
8: And was your was your dad pretty well known in the town that you grew up in?
15: He was. He happened to be a, a doctor, and he delivered uh, many babies. Uh, so not only all, all the kids I went to school with, but all their parents knew me. So everywhere I went, I was known as, uh, you know, my dad's son. So, so, you,
3: so. You, got, you, got a, you got used to um, being looked at. You know, everybody knew who you were,
15: and, you know, you knew you had to behave yourself and not leave any skeletons in the closet. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think so. Um, you know, there were many times where I think, you know, without having rules as a kid growing up, uh, I still had a lot of reinforcement with everybody around me. And so people knowing me, I couldn't really get uh, in too much trouble uh, with that, it's even though I didn't have many rules. And
3: you mentioned that uh, you've got venture capital in the company. So in order for these folks to invest money in you, they had to do, do they, what's called due diligence on you. They had to really investigate you and your background. What was the period of time, which usually takes anywhere between six months and a
15: year. What was the period of time between when you met these folks and they made the investment in the company? So I first met them through introductions from other people who knew me uh, and, and were, um, you know, uh, uh, portfolio companies of LSOP Louis, mm-hmm. uh, but it really took three months from start to finish, so first meeting to uh, Cash in the Bank was three what, months. What,
3: what was the, uh, h- how did they go about finding out about who you were?
15: Uh, so other entrepreneurs uh, introduced me to them, uh, and, you know, and then they, they really did some deep due diligence quickly. Th- uh, so it's LSOP Louis. Gilman Louis is uh, well-known um, from a technology perspective, had a really keen sense of what we were doing at RunSafe.
3: So he w- it was, you were pretty easy to check out, and evidently you had the right people introducing you to the money, and the money thought that these guys were reasonably credible, as well as they were, it was pretty easy
15: to check you out. So you, you have a pretty stellar reputation i like to think so, uh, but, you know, certainly they they did some deep due diligence, and and we had a broader team as well, so they checked Sounds out others. like but your
3: dad having that uh, being well-known, you know, you learned how to behave yourself. I think, uh, Andrew, do you have the next question there?
6: Yeah, in in the green room, Joe, we talked about, uh, you know, this this kind of no rules, no curfews, et cetera, and, and I, there was an incident uh, in eighth grade that I think uh, – is relevant you mind telling that story?
15: Well I remember so well there was the, the summer amusement uh, activities and, and uh, you know all the amusement rides uh, but I decided to stay out until 11 o'clock as a 13 year old. Uh, and then walked home. And my mom was scared to death. She had no idea who I was, or where I was.
6: What did did you learn from from that experience that has an effect on you today? It
15: was communication, uh, you know, and it really learned that there was a boundary around, you know, no rules. It was communicating with others and, and, uh, you know, staying in touch. Uh, And so it wasn't meant I could just go off and do whatever I wanted. So just
6: despite no rules, you had to create some rules. There
15: was accountability and expectations. And Mm -hmm. oftentimes those weren't even, you know, said out loud, but I learned that, you know, through that interaction. Mark.
4: What uh, event or activity are you most proud of as a child?
15: Uh, so I'd say, you know, participating in the, in the swim team. We were uh, league champs and, and uh, you know, many, many kind of wins as, as a team, uh, but uh, it really was kind of a team sport. A lot of people think about swimming as individual sports, mm-hmm. but it was the collective team effort uh, through all the practices and all the hard work. Do you
4: mm-hmm. feel somewhat the same way at, with your company?
15: Uh, Absolutely. So, you know, we've got a great group of people um, and we we all play our different roles. Uh, We have a common set of goals that we're striving for. Alex?
7: So uh, you were very deep in swimming. What else were you doing in high school that was taking up a lot of
15: time? So I was uh, heavily involved in math programs and and, uh, uh, playing chess uh, and of the math club and, and different activities like that, and I was also part of the, the student leadership programs and things like that. But the, the things that resonate me were, were the chess and the math programs.
7: In the green room, you talked about frameworks. C- can you talk a little bit more about that? That came out of you being so analytical.
15: Yeah. So being analytical, uh, I usually thought through things as kind of systems and not just you know transactions, if you will. So I really build you know um, you know think about programs and building companies as multifaceted and building frameworks for success as much as uh you know just you know uh, individual things
7: so that certainly helped you you shared a funny anecdote about uh, uh, where your frameworks didn't exactly help can you you expand a little on that
15: so my wife had multiple job offers uh coming out of law school and i made a decision matrix for her that had many variables and many law firms and i circled the right answer and she said uh, you know she doesn't make decisions that way (laughs) (laughs) so what did, what
7: did you learn from her response and how have you applied it to being a leader (laughs)
15: <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, so you, you don't want to just come up with the answer. You need to kind of work with o- others to gain input, <laughs> Dwayne. Uh, when you were young, how did you first make money,
9: and was it anything different from your, from your peers?
15: Well, it spun out of uh, my dad having expectation. I I uh, shovel our own driveway, um, and so I ended up uh, shoveling a lot of driveways.
3: Mm-hmm. So you ended up shoveling a lot of driveways, and I understand that you wanted to buy a you wanted a device to give you a hand with that. What was that?
15: Well, uh, being the youngest, I, I shovelled our own driveway from about age eight to eighteen, mm-hmm. and so every year I asked my dad for a, um, a, a snowblower. So what happened? Well, uh, you know, he, every year he said no, and then my first year, or first semester back from college, uh, he had a brand new snowblower in his garage. So <laughs> did you ask him why? I asked him why, and he said he never needed one uh, prior to this, and so that was my first lesson in sales. And
3: when you uh, when you were uh, when you were shoveling snow, was it just your place, or did you do the neighbors as well? Uh,
15: so my dad taught me, um, you know, how to be really uh, complete about shoveling a driveway. So the neighbors ended up uh, asking me to do their driveways as well. What do you mean he showed you how to be complete? What are you talking about? Well, it's a, it's. It's kind of embarrassing to admit, but uh, you know, had to go beyond the curb and expand out, and make sure there was room for the the mailman at the mailbox and everything else. So he had an expectation of how it was done, and I think everyone else appreciated doing, you know, the entire sidewalk uh-huh. and everything. What's
3: else. that have to do with building a business?
15: Uh, well, obviously, having a you know a, a good framework, number one, but number two, going a little bit beyond when you're serving your customers. So not just at the end of the the driveway, but going beyond the driveway. Is that a personality trait of yours, or am I making that up? Uh, I think it is. I think uh, what is. Well, it's a commitment to do you know 110% ultimately, uh, and so that's a good example of Isn't it. Isn't
3: that the reason you remembered the problem when you were swimming and you thought you were gonna win and you didn't win was because you weren't prepared and you like being over-prepared for
15: stuff? Yeah, and I worked extra hard the next year, so uh-huh. absolutely.
3: And what's that have to do with building a business? Relate that to the business again?
15: Well, obviously a lot of hard work to get things right, uh, mm-hmm. but then you know going, going above and beyond uh, what you deliver for the customer so that uh, they're successful.
3: So you try to deliver to your customers more than what they expect?
15: Yeah, we, you know, try to align expectations, uh, you know, with what we can do and what they can do and, you know, and exceed them ultimately.
3: huh. What's the website address of RunSafe Security?
15: RunSafeSecurity.com. Let me have that one more time. RunSafeSecurity.com. We've
3: been speaking with Joe Saunders, founder and CEO of RunSafe Security. Mark, can you give us a rundown on who else we've had the opportunity to hanging out with?
4: Sure. Today we had Corey Neal, president of K Neal Truck and Bus Center, Matt Kaywood, CEO of Transit Screen, Richard Spire, CEO of Learning Tree International, and Joe Saunders, founder and CEO of RunSafe Security.
3: Excellent. Uh, I'd like to thank my co-hosts, including Mark Cause, Association for Enterprise Growth, Andrew Howard, Howard Insurance, Daniel Patterson, Brunch Digital. Dwayne Deason, The Advocacy Group, and Alex Bartholomus, People Stretch, for giving me a hand, structuring the questions he'll be providing our listening audience an educational and entertaining show. I'd like to thank our listening audience for listening, otherwise we wouldn't have a radio show. Don't forget to visit our website. It's executiveleadersradio.com to learn more about our executive leaders. It's executiveleadersradio.com to learn more about our executive leaders. Thank you for joining us today, and do have a nice day. Bye-bye.